And now, take your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Luke 1, 56. We've been talking about magnifying the Lord like Mary did with her life song, not just a mere uh, song she sang that we look at at Christmas time, but in her entire life. And we've been looking at the, the passage of Luke chapter 1, and you see on top of your notes the Annunciation, the Visitation, the Magnification, and last week we talked about the Continuation, that we should magnify the Lord with our whole life. Uh, Chris, if you can bring that up and see that all of life, the continuation with your whole life. When we looked at verse 56, so have your Bibles open, look at verse 56. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. And out of that, we said, look, it's not all miracles and spirit-filled praise. There's the ordinary. And in the ordinary, Mary was a living sacrifice in her home, in the ordinariness of life. And she did it by serving, by surrendering, by sacrificing. In other words, Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your worship. And yet there's another part to that verse. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a dedication to those things, but then there's the transformation of continuing to learn. And even in verse 56, even though I try to drive home, this is the ordinary. You can still look at that and think, wow, Mary was a perfect living sacrifice. You know, she just... She just served perfectly, she surrendered always, and she sacrificed joyfully. And we can still kind of exalt her as though she is extraordinary. Well, this morning, I want us to look at the remaining verses in Mary's life. And here's what I want you to learn from the remaining verses. And there's not many Not much is made of Mary. More is made of her Lord, her son physically, but the eternal son of God. And here's what I want you to see. Mary had to keep learning. She had to keep learning to be a living sacrifice for her whole life. And so we're going to look at the remaining verses uh, regarding Mary, and we're going to see that she had to keep learning. The Lordship of Christ is the secret is the secret to being a living sacrifice that stays on the altar. See, that's the thing. We can present ourselves as a living sacrifice, but living sacrifices can jump off the altar. And we're going to see that Mary wasn't perfect at staying on that altar. She wasn't perfect as a living sacrifice. She had to keep learning. Because again, there's a dedication aspect of being a living sacrifice, but then there's the ongoing transformation aspect. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. So we're going to quickly look at five significant events in the rest of Mary's life and answer this question. What do we need to keep learning in order to magnify the Lord in the ordinary? Mary had to learn. We need to learn. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Like Mary, keep learning that Jesus is on his father's mission and not yours. Jesus is on his father's mission and not yours. Now, we're going to get to Luke chapter 2, but I want you to see what, what follows. So after verse 56, we then have the birth of John the Baptist and the spirit-filled worship in song by his father, Zacharias. Then we have, in chapter 2, the birth of Jesus and the heavenly shout of the angels announcing the good news of his birth to, of all people, the shepherds. And then we have the presentation of Jesus, the firstborn, at the temple. That's in verse 21. And the purification, Mary's 40-day purification after giving birth. And so they're dedicating the firstborn to the Lord. And we come then 
2, and we have Simeon and Anna who are witnessing. Well, first of all, they're walking in the Spirit, ordinary people, old, two old covenant believers. They're witnessing and they're worshiping. All the things that we've learned in this series, they're doing. And then we come to verse 39. So chapter 2, verse 39. And in 39 through 52... We have a very unique passage of Scripture. It's the only place in the entire Bible that we have something specific about the life of Jesus before his adult ministry. It's the only story of a young boy, Jesus. He's 12 years old. And on a regular basis, the family goes to the temple. And you probably are familiar with the story. What happens? They go to the temple and they, on their regular basis, and they, for Passover, it's time to go home. And they're traveling in a large caravan, probably with relatives and other people from Nazareth. And what happens to the little guy, Jesus? He's missing. They can't find him, right? Exactly. So look at verses uh, 39 through 52. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. They set the pattern of godly worship in their home. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, they didn't just fulfill religious duty, they reveled in it, and they did it from a heart of joy. They were there the whole time. And the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Notice, he intentionally stayed behind. But his parents were unaware of it. And supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. He's okay. He's with family. But he wasn't with family. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting like a rabbi in the midst, in the middle of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. That's not merely learning. That is also taking the posture of a master teacher and a rabbi. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. Now, you can imagine, parents, have you ever lost your kid? Has your kid, anybody ever had their kid wander off, right? I mean, it's a panic. I mean, and this is what's going on. Now, I've never, uh, we never had Amber wander off, I don't think. Although one time she was hiding in the middle of the uh, coat uh, clothing store in the middle of the, you know, the circular. And wasn't she, Gwen? I think you told me you had to find her. Now, what I did was I lost Amber. Okay, I forsook her on my mission. One time I needed to change the furnace filter. And so I said, Amber, come with me to Westlake. And so we drove up to Westlake and I got that filter and I was so ready to get that thing done that I jumped in my car, went home, <laughs> went right into the house, went right downstairs, changed that filter, came up with a sense of accomplishment. And Gwen said one thing, where's Amber? And oh, I freaked out. I ran for that door, yelling over my shoulder, call Westlake. And off I went. And man, I, was, I blew through Antioch, stop red lights. I'm thinking milk carton picture of her on the side of a milk carton. And we go there. And there she is just waiting for me. Later she said, well, I saw you leave, but I figured you'd come back for me. And so I'm, I'm glad I did. But uh, listen, when they finally find him, there he is, and there's all sorts of emotions with that, and there was all sorts of emotions for Mary. And here's what she says. She says, verse 48, When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. It's that typical mother mixture of relief and anger that you have put me through this. Am I right? That's what's going on. But notice what Jesus does. Joseph and Mary assume that their 12-year-old son was with them on their mission. They had assumed that. And then they realized that he wasn't. And young Jesus must remind his mother that he's on 
mission for his father and not for them. That's the idea. Okay? They assumed he was on their mission. And they don't have to worry about him. They don't have to look for him. He's where we want him to be. But then they realized he wasn't. And when they found him, he's about his father's business. Young Jesus must remind his mother that he's on mission for his father and not on her mission. Notice, Mary is a typical mother in her reproof, but Jesus is not your typical son. He's not just Mary's son. He's the eternal son of God. Mary had to relearn in the midst of her ordinary life, going to Jerusalem for worship, in the midst of everyday parenting, parent trip, let's go, she had to remember that Jesus is Lord and not her. I'm telling you, in your everyday life, working, living, parenting, marriage, school, work, singleness, it doesn't matter. We've got to relearn this principle. Mary wanted Jesus where she wanted him and doing what she wanted him to do. Mary wanted a safe Jesus. A safe Jesus that where he's always where I want him to be. And he's basically there on my terms. But Jesus does the Father's will, not ours. And we should do the same. So Mary had to relearn this great principle that Jesus is always on mission and we will lose him when we are not on mission with him. Are you with me? Jesus seemed distant. Have you lost a closeness with Jesus? Well, you need to understand that Jesus is always on mission and we will lose him when we are not on mission with him. See if you can bring that up there, Chris. And here's the deal. Where do we find Jesus? We find him on his mission, not ours. Now, think about Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, has this to say. Uh, it, it says, All authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth. Go make disciples, right? Baptizing, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. But then it ends with these words, And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we tend to take that last promise. He's always with me. Therefore, I can do what I want whenever I want, and Jesus is always with me. But what goes before that promise? Go. Be on mission. Now, understand that when we rebel, when we sin, I'm not saying Jesus abandons us. But what I'm saying is His promise to be with us is, to be, is when we are on mission with Him. Are you with me? See, we tend to think, we can wander off, do our own thing, and Jesus was just there waiting, you know, kind of twiddling his thumb, saying, when are you going to come back? No, Jesus is always going. If you look in the Gospels, when people don't follow Jesus, he keeps going. He doesn't say, oh, well, let's camp out here until these people get on mission. And it's the same thing with Mary and Joseph. They expected him to be on their terms, and instead, he's on mission. And it's not until they go to the temple where he ought to be. And so Jesus says to them in verse 49, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Did you not know I had to be about my father's business? Now, you're like, whoa, that was a big lesson. Did they immediately learn it? No, look at verse 50. Look at verse 50. They're just like us. But they did not what? Understand the statement which he had made to them. How much clearer could it be? But they still didn't get it. They had to keep learning this. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth because though he's 12 years old and coming into his own as adult, in, in, in his relationship with God, he continued in subjection, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Keep learning. Keep growing. 
just like any other ordinary believer. That's what Mary's doing. Second, second passage I want you to look at is John 2. John 2. We're going to look at John 2, 1 through 11. And here's the principle I want you to learn. In John chapter 2. Go ahead and bring that up. There you go. Like Mary, keep learning that Jesus brings kingdom blessings on his Father's timing, not ours. So he's on the Father's mission, not ours. Now he brings blessings on the Father's timing and not ours. So John chapter 2, let's take a look at this. Where are we in the life of Mary and Jesus? Joseph has apparently died. Uh, Jesus is 30 years old. He's beginning his ministry. Some think Joseph died when Jesus was about 18. We know he was alive when he was 12. But now he's 30, about to begin his ministry. He's already called his core disciples. And we know that because in John chapter 1, that's what he's doing. He's calling his disciples. And when he goes to this wedding in Canaan, his disciples get invitations to go as well. Jesus is about to perform his first public ministry. So let's look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. So it's up near Nazareth. It's up in their home area. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, these very kind of mysterious words, Woman, not mother, woman, what does this have to do with us? Or what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. And then he goes on and he performs his first miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding celebration. So here's what I want you to see. We're going to focus on verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. First of all, let's look at a mother's subtle request, a subtle request. What's going on here? Verse 3, look at what's happening. Basically, Mary is saying, son, the bridegroom has run out of wine He's going to be embarrassed at his own wedding. He's supposed to be providing this. He's going to be embarrassed. So take care of this problem for me. Take care of this problem for just exactly what a young widow would want her firstborn son to do. Could you take care of this problem? Make it go away. Do your thing. I want you to act. Now, whether, here's the question, did Mary expect Jesus to perform a miracle? Mm, uh, That can be debated because Jesus hasn't performed any miracles. So contrary to myth and legend, Jesus didn't turn clay birds into real birds. No, he's just living a normal young boy's life growing up. He's about to do his first miracle. So maybe she's not expecting a miracle, but she, she knows he's very resourceful. Very reliable. She's been leaning on him heavily ever since Joseph had died. Jesus, I'm your mother. Take care of this, would you? But Jesus is not merely her grown-up son. He's the eternal son of God. And his business is to take care of the father's business. He already taught that to her when he was 12 years old. And she's still having to learn it, okay? Just like us. And so here's the Messiah's gentle reproof. So there's the subtle request, but here's the Messiah's gentle reproof. Verse 4, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? So a couple things. First of all, Woman strikes us in our culture as rude and rather uh, unnatural, right? Lynn, does, does, does your boys say woman? Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes okay, sometimes. And it's, it's not happy times, is it? No, it's not happy times. But in this culture, in this culture, woman was the polite way to address a woman. And Jesus did this numerous, numerous times. It's a polite 
way, but it is an unusual way to address your mother. They would not usually address their mother this way. So Jesus is establishing a little distance in this. And here's basically what's going on. So what's the significance of how he addresses his mother? Well, he's reminding his mom, we have a new relationship. I'm beginning my ministry. I have my disciples. I am no longer merely your firstborn son. I am fulfilling my role as the eternal son of God. He is placing that distance there. What's the significance of what Jesus says to his mother? And I gave you some different translations. What he says in the Greek is like a, it's a, it's an idiom. It's a turn of phrase that's hard to put into English. But I think the, uh, the Christian standard Bible does a very good job. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? In other words, you're coming to me as your son, but I am the eternal son of God. And I didn't come to solve your everyday problems. Now, that might be a shocker to some of you. Jesus didn't come to solve my everyday problems? No. No. And we have to relearn that. Here's the deal. People would say this phrase. This was a common phrase in Jesus' day. They would say this when someone was asked to get involved in a manner he felt was no business of his. He could say to one asking him, what to me and to you? Meaning, that's your business. How am I involved? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I didn't come here to fix every one of your personal needs. I didn't come here to, to make earthly life a unbroken celebration with wine overflowing. So why did he come? Why did he come? If he didn't come to solve our everyday problems, notice what he says. What's the significance of Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come? Well, I gave you all sorts of verses from the Gospel of John. And when you trace this phrase, my hour through John, you learn that it refers to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What he's saying is, I didn't come to solve your everyday problems. I came to solve your greatest problem. And that is not, not enough wine at a party. It is... You are separated by God from your sins, and you can't pay the price of your sins, but I can. You have fallen short of God's glory. I will not. I have come to do my Father's work, and I will bring blessings of His kingdom in His timing. But understand this, Mary, suffering before glory, the cross before crown. So sometimes we come to Christ and we think, well, I came to Christ and he's going to take care of me. And I'm never going to suffer. I'm never going to lose my job. My dear mom's not going to die. I'm not going to have disease. I'm not going to have this. Jesus, where are you? And he says, my hour hasn't come. I've come to solve your greater problem. And you need to understand that. So that's, that's the significance of saying that. So Jesus reproves Mary for expecting him to meet every physical need. So here's what I want you to see. So bring this up. Here, here's what I want you to see. What's going on here is that Mary, or Jesus, is the bridegroom who brings kingdom blessings in the Father's time. Chris, if you can bring that up. In the Father's time and not ours. He, bring, he brings blessings in the Father's time and not ours. So here's what I want you to see. The party this week, or the, the parade this week, Travis Kelsey was famous for saying what? You got to fight for your right to party. Yeah, yeah, Kathy's even got the tone of it. You got to fight for your right to party. And all the t-shirts said, party at the castle. Listen, Jesus is the bridegroom. 
And he's going to bring in the kingdom blessings. And that is the bridegroom comes for his bride and wine is going to be overflowing. The reason Jesus went ahead and performed the miracle of water into wine on his timing, not Mary's, was he was foreshadowing there is a party at the castle that's coming. But you have to fight for your right to get there. Not fight in the sense of forcing your way in, but you have to suffer before you get to party. Are you, are you seeing this? You, you, you've, you've got to follow me to the cross, then the crown. You've got to have a lack and suffer loss before you get to enjoy the abundance of the kingdom. There's a timing here, Mary. And I don't bring kingdom blessings on your timetable. Listen, that's all of us. Jesus, where are you? Why aren't you coming through? Are you with me? And so Jesus is saying, look, look, I am the bridegroom who brings kingdom blessings in the Father's time, not yours. And how does the bridegroom bring the party? The cross before the crown. My hour has not yet come, but let me give you a little foretaste of what it's going to be like. Let me turn this water into wine and let the celebration take place. And it was the best wine they ever tasted. Folks, don't sacrifice the best in the kingdom for what this world can offer. And don't forsake the king just because your needs aren't being met. Can I hear an amen? You wait for the better wine. You wait for the king's timing. And what is a disciple's response? How should respond? Mary learned. Mary was off, but she got back on. Look at verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Isn't that beautiful? Mary is now, instead of trying to, in a sense, manipulate or, or move Jesus to meet the need... She takes the posture of a servant and says, whatever he says, you do it. If he says nothing, then don't do anything. If he says no, then be satisfied with that. If he says yes, whatever he says to do, do it. This echoes, this echoes our old, whole study, Luke one thirty eight. What did Mary say at the virgin conception? Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Isn't that beautiful? He's, she's echoing this. She's saying, hey, whatever he says, you do it. Mary took the posture of a servant. Okay, I messed you up on that. Sorry, uh, Chris. So there it is. That's how you get to the party. Third passage. Third passage. One more. Well, several more. Matthew 12. Turn to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. And here's what we're going to learn. Like Mary, keep learning that Jesus' priority is the Father's family, not ours. Jesus' priority is the Father's family, not ours. So turn your Bibles. Matthew chapter 12. Okay. 46 through 50. Matthew 12. 46 through 50. So we're just going through the remaining passages that mention Mary in the Gospels. So let's look at, oh, I'm sorry, I should, why did I say Matthew? Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Sorry, I put you in the wrong place. Parallel passage, but we want to look at the Mark one. The Mark one's a little more direct and a little clearer. To understand. So Mark chapter 3, and let's look at 20 through 22. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. Okay? Notice what's going on. Let me place you in Jesus' ministry. His ministry began with the miracle at Cana. Now it's exploding. The crowds are so big that he's so busy that he and his disciples don't have time to eat or sleep. The people are just gathering. Lynn, you guys have probably been there a little bit in Mozambique. No, no time, okay? 
His half-brothers, his own family, don't believe in him yet as Messiah. And Mary, apparently, is not traveling with him everywhere as a follower yet. And here's what happens. Verse 20, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. And he came home, okay, came back to his hometown. And the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they, him and his disciples, could not even eat a meal. And when his own people, his family, his physical family, when they heard this, they went out. Now, listen to this. He's a grown man. He's 31, headed to 32 at the pinnacle of his ministry. They went out to do what? Take custody of him. We're going to take custody of him. For they said, he has lost his, this guy's out of his mind. Okay, you're Messiah. Okay, you, you have some followers. Now you're going too far. Now you're being a little crazy. And we got to rein you in. So notice what happens. Here's the point. So here's the point for your notes. Family sometimes tries to control our following of the Lord. Family sometimes tries to control our following of the Lord. Why? To conform us to their earthly values and ordinary standards of living. His family were godly people. But let's not take it to extremes. Have you ever heard that? Okay, I mean, we follow. You follow. But conform to our idea of what following looks like. You're crazy, and we're going to bring you to your senses. Well, good luck with that when it's the eternal Son of God, right? <laughs> so let me ask you this. Have you ever been on fire to, for Jesus, and your family tried to put that fire of your fervor out? You ever been there? That you're, 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 you're pursuing all out, and they're like, hey, back it off a little bit? I especially experienced this early on. As you know, I was saved through ministry of this church at 17, 18. I'm making decisions about where to go to college. I've, Romans 12, 1 and 2, dedicated my heart. Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Do whatever you want me to do. This whole Christianity thing's new to me, but I know you've saved me, and I want to serve you. Whatever you want me to do. And then God led me to pursue vocational ministry. Well, my grandma, when she learned I wanted to go into vocational ministry, said to my mom, doesn't he know there's no money in that? And my mom said, well, mom, I don't think that's why he's doing it. Well, I probably didn't know how little money there was in that, but that's not why you do it. My Oak Park biology teacher, I was a brainiac, nerdy guy, and loved, my favorite teacher was Mrs. Pyle, Miss Pyle, uh, biology teacher at Oak Park, and my locker was right across from her classroom. And word had gotten out that, that this is what I was pursuing, that, and my life had changed. And she walked out of her classroom right across to me, and I, can, I see it right here in my mind. And she looked me in the eye, and we were, I was her teacher's pet. We were friends. She said, what a waste, and turned on her heel and went back to her classroom. What a waste. I mean, I was like stunned. You know, I didn't expect people to stand up and applaud, but I didn't expect to hear that. Then when Lord led me to go to uh, the greatest university on the planet, Liberty Baptist College at that time, my mom was telling her sister, my aunt, that I wanted to go to college in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I remember overhearing my mom say, but he'll get over that. And I remember just thinking when she said that, Mom, uh, you don't understand. God's leading me there. This is where I'm going. My dad had a different approach as a good father and provider. He got a little angry at me and said, You think I'm going to pay for four years at a private Christian school when you could be going to a state school and have a scholarship? And I said, Dad, it's okay. He said, Well, I'm only going to pay for one year. And then you're on your own. And, I, and, and out of a young, just simple faith... You know, Dad, if God wants me there, he'll take care of it. And before Christmas break, I had a full-ride scholarship for the rest of my time there at Liberty. Listen, 
Jesus rebukes Mary and his siblings for trying to control him and limit his ministry. He rebukes them. Look at verses 31 through 35. Then his mother and his brothers arrived standing outside. They sent word to him and called him. They couldn't even get near him. And the crowd was sitting around him. That's where disciples should be, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Drop everything and do what your family wants. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about those who were sitting around him, repeated twice. Why? Because that's where disciples should be. He looked at those sitting around him and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, she is my sister and mother. What is he doing? Jesus makes a radical rebuke. Let me give you two points under this. First of all, he's saying, my priority is God's spiritual family, not merely my physical family. He's prioritizing. He's prioritizing discipleship in the spiritual family over physical responsibilities. Now, that, I, hear me clearly, uh, that doesn't give us uh, the, the opportunity to ignore family and to forsake family responsibilities. We're going to see in a moment he's on the cross and he's taking care of family. But he's doing it from the cross. If he had listened to them, he'd never be on the cross. It's priorities. And I, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, embarrass Lynn here, but missionaries have to work through this. But folks, it's not just missionaries. It's you and it's me. It's our ordinary lives where we've got to prioritize. We've got to prioritize. Listen, don't let any relationship, mother, father, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, employer, squelch your further fervor for following Christ. The priority is not earthly relationships. It's that spiritual family. And second, second point is this. My family are those who do God's will and sit at my feet. My family are those who do God's will as obedient followers and they sit at my feet. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus is his father's firstborn. And because he is, he prioritizes spiritual family, not earthly family. Who are the blood relatives? Obedient disciples. Isn't it interesting? Mary didn't have an inside track to Jesus. Look, if you're praying to Mary thinking he's, she's got the inside track, no, 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 no. She couldn't even get to him because she wasn't, had, didn't have the posture of an obedient disciple. Are you with me? Man, this stuff's so good. Who are obedient disciples? Let's look at another passage. Luke 11. One more mention of, this time it doesn't mention Mary actually. Luke 11, 27 through 28. And here's what we're going to learn. Luke 11, we're going to learn that like Mary, keep learning that Jesus blesses those with an obedient faith and no one else. Jesus blesses those with an obedient blessing. No one has an inside track to blessing except those who have an obedient faith. Let's look at this. Luke chapter 11, 27 through 28. The passage doesn't directly mention Mary, and she's not present, but she's obviously referred to. Look at verse 27. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you were nursed. Okay. But he said, on the contrary, 
Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Whoa. What's going on here? Well, first of all, a woman shouts out a normal Jewish blessing. This was normal. A blessing on mothers who had given birth to exceptional sons. Jesus was an exceptional son. And so in one sense, this woman is merely doing what Elizabeth did in Luke chapter 1, blessing Mary, right? And what Mary herself sang in Luke chapter 1, that generations will call me blessed. So in one sense, wow, blessed is the mom that got to have a son like you, right? But she has focused too much on the motherhood aspect. The woman who brought you into this world, the woman who nursed you. She has focused too much on the idea of being a wife and a mother as if that is the greatest blessing a Christian could enjoy. Listen to what I'm about to say. Sometimes we can so focus on the family that we forget to focus on being Christ followers. Are you, you see what I'm saying? We can sometimes exalt that the greatest blessing is you've got to be married. You've got to have kids. You can't just have one. You've got to have two, three, maybe many more. And there's the greatest blessing. And sad to say, I have sat in church services where pastors have said such things. But that's not reality. And that's not true. Being married or having children is not the greatest. It is a blessing. But it is not the greatest blessing. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word and obey it. The greatest blessing is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're single again, whether you're a widow. It's not the status of your family. It's the status of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Because as the Browns are realizing and grieving, family comes and goes. And when family dies particularly parents, it's only a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that is your only hope. And that's what he's saying. And so what does he do? Jesus refuses to raise his mother, Mary, above any disciple. And could I add, we should never raise physical family or marital status or parental status above a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many blessings in this life, but the greatest one is knowing Him, not as Savior, but as Savior and Lord. That's the greatest blessing of all. And you know what's cool about it? It's withheld from no one. We live in a fallen world. Not all people get married. Not all Married people have kids. We live in a fallen world. But there's one blessing that cannot be kept from anyone who by faith seeks it. And that is the blessing of knowing the Father. You see, Jesus is the master who blesses his obedient servants, not his mother Mary. How do we receive the master's blessing? We receive it with an obedient faith. An obedient faith. All right. One last passage. We made it. If I don't uh, sidetrack, we'll finish. John 19. Turn to John 19. Here is the last time Mary is found in the Gospels. John 19, 26 through 27. John 19, 26 and 27. Follow along as I read this. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, we believe that's John who wrote the gospel, he said to his mother, Woman, there it is again. We have a different relationship now. Woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. I do not have that responsibility anymore. Why? Because I am glor- my hour has come. And I am dying on the cross. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise. And I am the high priest, the risen king, and the perfect prophet. I have a role that, it, that surpasses taking care of Mary. That's why the false doctrine of thinking Mary has an inside track to the risen Lord is a horrendous doctrine. He puts that away right here because he says, she's in a sense not my mother anymore. She's John's responsibility. Now, is Mary forever the mother? Yes, yes. But the relationship has changed. And the responsibility is no longer woman, not oh mom, it's woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. This is the last time Mary shows up. Do you realize there's only one person in all the world who was present at the moment of the incarnation and at the crucifixion? Only one woman had that privilege. Mary. Mary. Pretty, that's just pretty, pretty unique. The only person. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus recognizes Mary as his mother but never as his co-mediatrix or his co-redemptrix as taught in Catholicism. In other words, yes, you are my mother, but you are no longer my responsibility. It's John. The last time Jesus addresses his mother, it's not as mother, but as woman. And remember in John, John 2, woman. John 19, woman. My relationship has changed. Jesus is, now listen to this, Jesus is taking care of ordinary business while doing the most extraordinary act in all of his ministry. He's doing the will of God on the cross and he's taking care of the ordinary, but it's prioritized. One's not forsaken, but one comes first. Jesus values the ordinary and says, hey, you, you're a widow, you, I, I want you to be cared for. He takes care of the ordinary by transferring the care of his widowed mother to a beloved disciple. But Jesus is magnifying his his greater role. I am your high priest. I'm interceding. I'm caring for you. Listen, folks, when you follow Jesus and it's hard, you have one in heaven that cares. And he cares about the ordinary, but he does it from his exalted position as prophet priest, and king. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. There's no other God like that, folks. So here's the point. Jesus is the eternal Son of God and the high priest who intercedes for us in heaven. He was lifted up between heaven and earth. He exalted and was exalted to the heavens. He cares for us. So let me end with this. The last time we see Mary... The last time we see Mary mentioned in the Bible is Acts 12, or Acts 1, 12 through 14. And what is Mary doing? She is sitting, gathered with every ordinary disciple, waiting for the Spirit to come. And guess who's with her? Jesus' half-brothers. They've come to faith. Folks, listen, you don't bring family to faith by putting God second in your life. You bring family to faith by following faithfully, putting him first while not neglecting the ordinary. It's not easy to do. Lynn can testify. We all can testify. It's not easy to do. And you know what you got to have? you got to have the Spirit's help. And so she's waiting for the Spirit, just like every disciple. You don't have to wait anymore. When you're born again, you have the Spirit. But you better realize, and I better remember, that we have to relearn this lesson over and over. Mary 
was a living sacrifice with her whole life in the ordinary. But it did not come easily. It did not come without rebuke. It did not come out without reproof. It did not come without relearning this lesson over and over. And I can tell you, I sometimes now, I don't even know how long I've been saved since 17. I know I'm on my 33rd year here. So whatever that plus set when I was 17. As I look back at that kid that said, you know what, Dad, God will provide. I'm like, Lord, don't let me lose that. Don't let me lose that lesson that you will provide. Because there's something about growing older and life gets busier and more difficult that sometimes we forget what God taught us when we were young. Can I hear? We sometimes kind of think, well, I, I, I did all that earlier. Now I kind of deserve an easier life. No, 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 no. Whole life. Living sacrifice. Growing disciple. So let me ask you one question today. Focus. Are you growing? Are you growing? Husbands, are you leading? Wives, are you growing? Whether your husband is leading. Husbands, are you growing? Whether your wife is following. Singles, are you growing? Whether you have that relationship you want or not. Or are you being distracted by your suffering? Grow, learn, put Jesus first. The Spirit will enable you to do that. And like Mary, be humble enough to confess and admit when you're wrong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder of Mary. I have been so blessed by her life. I pray that each person here has been challenged to not venerate her, but imitate her. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, new series next week.